Good morning, everyone. You're looking great. I don't know if anybody's told you that this morning, but let me, if nobody has, let me, let me be the first. You're looking great. Oh, you're also subdued. Thank you. <laughs> how, many, how many of you have seen the movie Annie? Maybe the classic one or, you know, maybe the one that redone in back like 2014, 2015 with Jamie Foxx. Watch, th- watch this video clip if we, if we have it set up. I didn't give them much notice. Click one more time. See if you can imagine with me. There's children singing and dancing. That's the song. (laughs) Um, So Annie is a true rags to riches story. Little orphan Annie who, if, if, who is struggling. Life in, you know, blunt terms sucks. She's stuck in an orphanage. She's not loved. She's not cared for. She's not looked after well. And she ends up getting adopted by a, a rich, wealthy man. Now and he's kind of... Like your life there it is. We'll let this roll. It's a hard knock life. It's a hard knock life. It's a hard knock life. It means our life sucks. Oh, then yeah. It's a hard knock life for us. It's a hard knock life for us. Sad treaties, we can't drink. Sad Christmas, we can't sing. It's a hard knock Everything's going to be okay. (laughs) So in a sense, Annie experiences redemption. We're over the next several weeks, we're going to look at the book of Ruth. And so I don't know if you caught my Instagram story or on on Facebook, the Facebook story, encouraging you to read the book of Ruth. I won't ask who did it. It's okay if you didn't. It's just going to help you keep continuity of the story. So this week... I'm going to challenge you, read the book of Ruth. It's like it's the seventh, eighth book of the Bible. So start in, start in Genesis, go eight books, you find a little book of Ruth, it's only four chapters long. Ruth is a story of redemption. See, redemption, what redemption is, it is the action of regaining something in exchange for a payment. For example, before our lives with Jesus, we were slaves to sin and death. Jesus paid for our freedom with his life on the cross in exchange for ours so that we could regain the relationship with Jesus, no longer being slaves to sin and death. See, this is redemption. It is the action of being redeemed. And that word redeemed literally means to be bought off the auction block or bought off the slave auction block and set free. Every one of us, we all start in the same place. Life outside of Jesus, separated from God. Some 
Some have accepted Jesus into their lives and, and been redeemed and experienced that redemption. Others have yet to experience this, to encounter Jesus and to receive him. Whatever your story is, wherever you are in your faith journey, we all start in the same place. Outside of God's family needing redemption. This is the story of Ruth. People needing redemption, specifically Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi. So let's look uh, Ruth chapter one. We're gonna read. We're gonna read little bits and pieces of Ruth chapter one this morning, starting in verse one. It says, "Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn or live in the land of Moab with his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi. The names of his two sons were Mahalon and Chilon." Ephrathites of Bethlehem and Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and they remained there. So Naomi and her husband left Bethlehem in Judah for the land of Moab. There was famine in the land. So the book of Ruth takes place in the midst of the book of Judges. This is when the book of Ruth in the timeline of the Bible is taking place. Times were tough. There was famine in the land. Life was not going well for Naomi and her family. It's a fact of life that we will have hard times. You will have hard times in your personal life. You will have hard times in your professional life. And you will have hard times in church life. Yes, in church life too. Church is filled with imperfect people. Obviously, because there are no perfect people. And so when you gather imperfect people together and you try to do life together, you're going to have some issues. The same way that you have issues in your families. Church isn't perfect. We will have issues and we will have difficulties. And I, I'm sorry if I just smashed your box of church being this perfect place where you will not be disappointed. You, chances are, We'll get hurt and we'll get disappointed in church because of the imperfect people. Now, you can either walk through these difficult times in your life, personal, professional, and church life. You can walk through them a part of the church or you can walk through them a part of the church, away from the church. You can either walk through them together as church family, as church community, or you can leave and try and work it out on your own. Leaving is what Naomi and her husband Elimelech did. See, now there are times when God moves people from one church to another church. He sometimes shuffles the deck, so to speak. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, God has arranged the parts of the body, speaking of Christians, followers of Jesus. We are called the body of Christ. He has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Or some, some translations says, just as he desires. See, when we listen and we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, we are placed in churches, in communities, in church families as he desires. So it's vital. It is important to listen and to be obedient to the Holy Spirit when God is leading you on from a church. If God is leading you on from this church to another church or whatever the circumstances might be, it is extremely important that you listen and are obedient to what he says. It is also just as important that you do not toss around God said when God didn't said. 
Sometimes we have a habit of tossing around God's head, attaching God's name to something when God didn't give the direction and God wasn't involved. See, sometimes people will move on from church families because they're hurt, because they're disappointed, because maybe they're going through some correction. God is putting his finger on something in their life and they are feeling very uncomfortable. And so they begin to to pull back and move away. Sometimes it's relational conflict within the church. Sometimes it's disagreement with the leadership. And then they throw around, well, God said I needed to move to this church in, in this location over here when God didn't say anything. Only you and God know if God said. See, if you want to end a a conversation quickly, just say God said. Like if we're having a conversation about a direction in your life and you throw out God said, the conversation is over because I will not disagree with God said. And I am not God's voice in your life. God speaks to you. And if you're saying God said, I'm going to say, then you better be obedient. But it's only between you and God knows if he really said. There was a time many years ago, this is even before Faith was born, we were attending a church, and it was a great church. It was a, it was a really healthy church family. One of, the, one of the families within that church, they decided to make a move from one side of the city to the opposite end of the city for financial reasons. It was the only reason that they were going to move. There was great financial gain in it for them. And so they made the move. Now, this made the commute to church extremely long. And so they decided to attend a church that was much closer to their home. Unfortunately, they had high school students. And the students were very well connected in the, in the original church, but didn't connect well into the new church that they decided to start attending. And after some time, they ended up uh, falling away from the Lord. The, church, or the, uh, the family went through some, some very difficult times, some hardships, some difficulties, some troubles with their, with their teenagers. And the teenagers ended up walking away from the Lord. See, what, what seemed like a good move, what seemed like leading of the Lord wasn't. It was just them following finances. Decisions to change churches must be done with careful prayer and listening to the Lord. Always encourage you to hear what God is saying. I never want to be God's voice in your life. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you the same as I do. And it is important, as Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and my sheep know my voice. It's vital to your relationship with Jesus that you understand when he's talking to you. When we read through the Bible, um, biblical places and names of places as well as names of people they have meaning, they have significance, and many times they represent something. So here in, this, in the first couple verses, we came across some, some locations. First one was Bethlehem, which means house of bread. And it speaks to the provision and the presence of God. We also have Judah, which means house of praise, which literally represents worship. And then we have Moab, which Moab in location was a country just outside of the promised land, just outside of Israel. And it represents the world. It represents that separation outside of God and not a part of God's covering, God's family. So Elimelech took his family and left Bethlehem, Judah, because of the famine. He left the covering and the ruling, the structure of God, and he sought refuge in Moab, which represents the world's ways and the world's systems. 
See, he left the promise and the protection of God to pursue abundant life in the world. He tried to make a, a go of it, so to speak. He tried to make you know, a way for his family to thrive in abundance outside of God. See, when there's a, a, a lack or an absence of worship in the church, and not that there's just no, you know, that 30 to 45 minutes at the beginning of the service, not that that's not taking place, but true spirit and, you know, Jesus says worship in spirit and in truth, that type of worship, when that's missing, when, the, when that passionate, heartfelt worship of Jesus is missing in the house of God, then there's no, there's no provision, right? There's no, there's no presence in the church, when the word of God is not declared and taught and preached as truth. When there's no genuine community gathered around the presence of God. People begin to go spiritually hungry. This is what we would call spiritual famine. And when this takes place in a church, sometimes people begin looking for ways to fill that spiritual need, that spiritual hunger in other places. See, the church is the modern day equivalent of the house of bread and praise of Bethlehem, Judah. And there must be worship in the house of God. There must be worship in our church gatherings. Now, listen, we say church, most of us, you know, instinctively think of a location. I'm going to church Sunday morning. I want to invite you to church. And every, there, you think of an address, you think of a location, but church is us. We are the church, okay? So there must be worship within the church, worshiping Jesus, not just singing songs about Jesus, but lifting up our worship, our praise, our adoration, declaring our love for Jesus. We don't sing about him. We sing to him. So as God's people, we have to come together and worship to Jesus. Not standing back as spectators. Not sitting down just watching what's taking place up here on the stage. Watching the band lead. Watching them play their songs and sing their hearts out. But engaging in the worship. Engaging in by, by singing. But Pastor, I don't, I don't know the song. That's okay. We worship in spirit and in truth. right? We worship, we worship with our spirits. There are times when... I don't know the songs. And so I, you know, I close my eyes. I listen to the words. I lift my hands in worship. Sometimes I kneel on the ground or I'll lay down or, or I will, or I'll, I'll clap. You clap with the music. That's engaging in the worship. Sometimes there's, there's, there's a moment where there's just such, such passion, such, such spiritual energy and excitement welling up within us that we shout, that we lift our voices. There are times when we, when we stand in, in awe and just quiet, reverent, reverential fear of the Lord. Sometimes we engage by dancing. We have to engage in the worship, not just standing as spectators and sometimes engaging in the worship is singing your own song. The words that God brings to your mind and to your heart, the things that he's doing, you begin to sing them out. But pastor, it doesn't match the words and the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the music. That's okay. Sing a new song. Sing your own spontaneous song. This is us engaging in worship. And this is part of the, the sustenance of the church. This is part of the sustenance for the people. Meeting around the presence of Jesus. See, our church, 
We are committed to gathering around the presence of God. One of our values, we say, one of our values is Jesus. And you're like, well, duh, you're a church. I know. But not every church values Jesus in this way, where, where his presence is the most important. Right? If we've got, we've got an order of service. I think Renee has it on the, on the front row. We've got an order of service. Okay, this is what's going to take place today. And so we're moving this way. But if in the midst of the service we feel like God's taking a right-hand turn, then we're going to go right and we're going to abandon the order of service. Because following Jesus, encountering his presence, that's what's most important. Not getting through our to-do list on a Sunday morning. So we gather around the presence of God because there is nothing more important that we have to do today than encounter his presence. So Naomi and Elimelech had two sons. The children in the Bible are often named after circumstances that they were born into. So their sons' names are Mahalon, which means sickness, sickly, unhealthy, or invalid. And their second son, his name is Chilon. And I'm, I'm probably butchering these, but I'm just going with it, pretending that I really know how to pronounce them. And Shylon means puny or pining or wasting away. And this family was struggling. They were not experiencing the blessing and the favor of God. They were encountering hardship, struggle, and lack. And because of this, they left the covering of the house of God. And they began to live outside of the promise and protection of God. The world will never satisfy our needs. We all have needs. We've got needs of security. We've got needs of stability, needs of real, true relationships. We have needs of joy, of comfort, of fulfillment, of peace. The world will never satisfy because it only leaves us wanting. The world will take everything from you and give nothing to you because the world is a broken and a needy place. How do I know? Because it's filled with people like us. People like us before we met Jesus, broken, needy. People that, that are living outside of the relationship with Jesus do not have abundant life. If they do not have Jesus, it may look like they're living the abundant life and they've got it all together, but it's just a facade. It's not real. It's just smoke and mirrors because you cannot have abundant life apart from Jesus. John 10.10 10 says the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus said, but I have come that you may have life and life abundantly. So Naomi and her family, they moved to Moab and they experienced incredible heartache and pain outside of the covering of God. Her husband dies. She's left with her two sons. Her two sons marry. And then they both die. A family of four left Bethlehem Judah, left the covering of God, and now only one is left. That's tragic. All Naomi has left now is her life and her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. And this is the context that we read in verse 6 where it says, uh, it's to, speaking of Naomi, it says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab, for she had heard in the land of Moab, that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. See, when there's, when there's food in the, house, in the house of the Lord, when there's food with his, within his church, the people of God, the food, 
is, is the bread of his presence. It's the presence of God. When there's food in the house, people know about it. They hear about it, and people are drawn in. You never have to advertise a burning building. You just know. You hear the sounds. You see the smoke. There's that, that activity. Everybody knows about it. But you don't have to tell people when God is moving in a church because it self-advertises, and people are drawn in. So what our responsibility in this is that we need to live our lives out loud. Let what God has done in your life show on the outside. Don't hide it. See, your life is a billboard for the goodness and the grace and the love and the kindness and the mercy of God. You display his glory. You display his goodness by just living out loud and not hiding what it is that God has done in you. See, when, when, when we do the work of the kingdom of God, and by the work of the kingdom, I mean things like we're loving people, really loving people where they are. Where they are. And when we're serving people, when we're talking to people about Jesus, when we're taking the opportunity when people are hurting and they're broken and we pray for them, or we are generous, or we're moving in the gifts of the Spirit, right? We're prophesying over people. We're healing the sick. When we are living our... Um, when we're living our prophetic destiny in Jesus, we are living out loud. People see it and they will be drawn to you because what they're seeing, they might not be able to put words to it, but what they're seeing is Jesus in you because you are the billboard of God's goodness. Verse 20 says that Naomi, after she, we're kind of jumping around a little bit, so this stick, stick with me. Verse 20, Naomi has already returned back to Bethlehem. And people, they, they knew her. She's been gone for over a decade. They're like, is that, is that Naomi? And this is what she said. She says to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the, Lord, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Naomi felt like God dealt bitterly with her placed judgment on her. But the truth is, she chose to leave and she put herself in a place outside of his promises. That's the truth. I don't see this as, as God dealing bitterly with her as that she left the covering of his presence. We can't blame God for the results of our choices outside of his direction. And so many times we do that. We make decisions, and there are always consequences to our decisions, and we don't like the consequences to the choices that we've made. And so we blame God, like it was God who did all this stuff to us, when the reality is we chose to do things a certain way outside and separated from his presence and his direction. It's better to tolerate drought and push through dry seasons and famine than it is to set out for another place outside of what God has for you. Listen, if it gets tough here, if it gets tough in this church family, but God hasn't directed you to move on, then it's better to push through the dry times. It's better to be committed to his purposes in your life. And maybe it's just dry in your life, but in your neighbor's life, they're experiencing the, the abundance and the outpour of God. And you're like, I'm not experiencing that. Then press through. Commit. Don't uproot and leave. Be planted in the house of the Lord. Situations change. People come and go. There are mountains and there are valleys. There are times of abundance and there are times of lack. There is advancement and there is loss. 
The question really is, will you allow circumstances to set your course? Or will you lock in on the promises of God and His purpose for your life? Not allowing anything just to come along and push you off course. We cannot be people that are, that are, that are tossed back and forth by wind and by waves. We have to be people that are committed to locking into his promise for your life, his promises of scripture, his purposes that he has for you, and we lock in and we commit to those things. Those things anchor us in. The wind is going to come. The storms are going to come. And sometimes, sometimes the storms come even when you're following his direction. Don't forget that Jesus was the one who sent his disciples in the boat and said, go to the other side. I will meet you over there. He sent them straight through a storm. And then there comes Jesus in the middle of the night where they're str- the, 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 the disciples are straining in the boat and Jesus is walking. You know, he's not walking to them. He's walking by them. His intention was not to jump in the boat with them and go. His intention was to meet them on the other side. He was walking his way through the storm. But they saw him. They panicked. He sent them through the storm. Storms don't necessarily mean that you're going the wrong direction. Naomi knew the presence of God. And then she strayed away from it and she harvested A life lived outside of his presence. A life lived outside of his purpose and his calling. It's unfortunate. It really is. But the reality is that many people don't turn turn to Jesus. They don't turn their lives towards him until they're in ruins. Until they hit rock bottom. And they're like, my life is just, I'm I'm broke. I'm busted. I'm disgusted. I've I've got nothing left. I've got no hope. And then they, and then they turn to Jesus. Right? Jesus told the story of the prodigal son who demanded everything from his father. He demanded his share of the inheritance and then he laughed and he spent it all, the Bible calls, on worldly living. And he had nothing left. And when he had nothing left, he was sitting in a pig pen, watching the pigs eat, thinking, I'd really like some of that. He was so low. How low do you have to be to watch pigs eat slop and think, I wish someone would give me some of that. That's how low he was. And then he returned back to his father's house. See, the good news, though, the good news, though, no matter how far you walk away, no matter how far you wander away, Jesus is only one step back. He's only one step back. And he always receives us back into relationship no matter how far we've gone, no matter what we've done. So Naomi decided to return to the Lord. She decided to return to her inheritance. Let's look at verse 8. We'll read 8 through 14. It says, And Naomi said to her her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt kindly with the dead, their, their husbands, and with me. May the Lord grant that you find rest, each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept, and they said to her, No, but we will surely return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? 
Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than it is for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Orpah and Ruth started out on the journey with Naomi, traveling from Moab back to Bethlehem in Judah. But eventually, Orpah turned back and went home, back to her old way of life, back to her, her, her way that she knew. This is a picture, it's a prophetic picture of a believer's commitment to follow the Lord. See, the voice of Jesus is heard in our hearts. We hear the voice of him calling us to follow him. But there are other voices. There are other voices that will try and pull us away, try and, try and remove us and cut off our commitment, our determination to follow Jesus. See, Orpah means youthful freshness, or, or it also means her neck, and it comes from a word meaning the stiff-necked one. Orpah started out in the right direction. She had the right heart. She was following Naomi. She she'd heard the voice. She knew there's something better that way. But she allowed other voices. Even though it was the voice of her mother-in-law, she allowed other voices to deter her. And she left and she went back to her old way of life. A stiff neck speaks of one wanting to go their own way, not wanting to submit to the Lord and the authority that he's placed in our lives. I mean, if we're honest, I mean... It's not many people that like submission. But the life of a follower of Jesus isn't easy. It's not for the faint of heart. The life of a follower of, a a follower of Jesus is for those that realize that apart from him is emptiness. Apart from him is heartache and it's brokenness. And they are lost without him. Because there's no attempting to do life with Jesus on your own. See, followers of Jesus rest totally on the Lord and they walk in community with other believers through good and through bad, through thick and through thin, through plenty and through lean. Now, do you mean to tell me that if I want to follow Jesus, I've got to do it in, in church community? I'm not saying that if you don't do it in church community that you're not, that you don't have salvation, but I've yet to see someone live a solo life with Jesus successfully. We were made, uh, made and built to do this life together in community. You with me and me with you and us with each other. That's how we were designed. Let's look at verse 15. I'm going to bring it in for a landing here in a minute. Then she said, behold, this is Naomi speaking to Ruth. Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me and worse if anything but death separates you and me. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. See, Ruth made this wholehearted commitment to follow Naomi. This meant leaving friends. This meant leaving family. This meant leaving everything that she knew. She really had no idea where she was going or what was ahead of her because her entire life was behind her and she was leaving it in the past. She felt and heard the calling of God onto more. See, there's more. She knew that life with Naomi, which is family, which is community, far exceeded life without 
There was nothing that Naomi could do to persuade Ruth to stay. Something inside Ruth knew that there were greater days ahead of her than there were behind her. That life was not found back in Moab, back in the world, but life was found forward under the covering of God. Abundant life is not found in the world, it's found in Jesus. Now, it's important to understand that Ruth, Ruth is from Moab. She's a Moabite. And the Moabites were totally barred from the presence of God because they were hostile towards Israel in their journey from Egypt into the Promised Land. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 3 and 4, they attacked the Israelites when they were tired and they were weary on their long journey. And because of this, God banned them from His presence. They were not allowed to be under the house of God in the community of His people. But here, yet she, Ruth, is listed in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 5. See, this is redemption through the grace of God. Ruth, an outsider, not a part of, not a part of the Israelites. She's not of, of the Jewish descent. She's not a part of the people of God. But God plucks her up outside and places her in his family. She is the great-grandmother of King David. Jesus is called the son of David. This is his lineage from someone who wasn't even supposed to be there. See, it doesn't matter what choices you've made in the past. God's grace is here for you now. And if you allow his grace to be applied to your life, you will experience redemption as you begin to step into all that he has for you. Step into your destiny in him. Because God doesn't dream mediocre dreams for his children. Not any of them. It doesn't matter who you are or where you came from. He's got great dreams for you. He's got greatness on your life. See, that's the redemption of Jesus. Ruth, an outsider, now in the lineage of Jesus, that's redemption. So Naomi and Ruth, they arrive back in Bethlehem at the barley harvest. And this is in verse 22. Barley harvest is Passover time. Passover is a prophetic picture of the cross and Jesus' sacrifice, shedding his blood for humanity. Jesus alone delivers us from the power of sin and our old way of life. It's through Jesus only. And it's on the foundation of Passover that Naomi and Ruth end up experiencing redemption. Our lives are redeemed by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we live an abundant life through him. He sets us on a path of significance. He takes the terrible things that we've experienced, all those painful things in life that we've gone through, he takes us through them and he brings us to a place of purpose, a place of healing, and a place of ministry through the painful things that we've experienced. See, because he alone is the one that works all things together for good, for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. The lowest, most painful parts of your life separated from Jesus become the platform for your greatest ministry. He takes your brokenness, he heals it, and then he ministers through you to other people from that place of pain, from that place that was once brokenness, but now you're healed. See, in the weeks to come, as we walk through the book of Ruth, we see that Ruth is transformed from poverty. She has nothing to wealth. From widow to wife. From barren, she has no children to fertile. From outcast to accepted. And most importantly, from non-believer to believer. How can God do that? How can God take one woman from Moab and include her in his very family 
See, what we think that God can't do many times is the very thing that he will do. We, we limit God in our lives and the lives of those around us by the boxes that we put God in because we say, well, well, God, God doesn't do that. And we put that in a box. He goes, he doesn't do that. He can't use me because of this. When God only does this, and we have another box for all the things that God does. He does these things, but not those things. See, the, the reality is, is that if it does not violate God's word, then it's wide open for God to do. Just because you don't see it in the Bible doesn't mean that it's wrong. Do you catch that? If we lived our lives based on, well, I don't see it in the Bible so that it's wrong, then this little thing that we all have in our pocket, we should probably just throw away. Because I didn't find that verse on cell phones or cars or planes or air conditioning. I didn't find any of those things in the Bible. But we live oftentimes, we live much of our lives on things that are outside of the Bible, but don't, don't violate or contradict the word. God is free to do anything that he wants as long as it doesn't violate his word. So whatever your background, whether you are irreligious, cultic, anti-God, anti-faith, anti-religion, anti-church, we can all experience the redemption through Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter who who you are or where you've come from or what you've done. He can swoop into your situation He can pluck you up, he can redeem your life, and he can set you on a path to greatness such that you have no idea what's in store for you. See, he transforms our lives. That's redemption. That's redemption. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask that you would open our eyes to all that is possible. I ask that you'd smash the boxes that we put you in and how we limit you in our lives and in the lives of people around us. For your redemption knows no boundaries as long as we say yes to you, as long as we stay committed to you, as long as we stay committed to your your body, your church, There is nothing that you cannot do in our lives. So I pray, as Paul wrote, for a a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know you in greater ways and in greater intimate capacity. If you're here today and you you don't have that relationship with Jesus, you you know you are on the outside of His family looking in, and and you're like, you know what? That's I want that for my life. I don't want to live apart from Him anymore. It's, it's in this moment, I just, just slip your hand up. I want to know who I'm praying for. If there's anyone here that would just like to say yes to Jesus this morning. Thank you, Jesus, that you are always planting seeds in our life, that you never give up on us. 
no matter how many times we reject you, you never quit on us. In Jesus' name, amen.